G'day, it's Phil here. Where I am right now, it's very dark. Where Graham Brown Martin is right now, it's very light. We live in a world where we're able to do things which are just inconceivable. When Graham's hair wasn't grey and I had hair on my head. I want to spend some time with Graham Brown Martin talking about the world we live in today and the world of tomorrow and how we can think about what the world of tomorrow might be like, what it might be like to work in the world of tomorrow and how we can prepare students for it. I'm really excited to talk about Graham. He's a genuine enthusiast, even more of an enthusiast than Bravo Moisafi. I can't <laughs> wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, could you tell us a little bit about our Series 10 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. Over the past decade, the team from A School for Tomorrow has been working with hundreds of thousands of members of school communities across the world to think about the character of an excellent education. They've concentrated their learning about what makes a school thrive into a unique suite of digital survey tools called Thriving for students, teachers, and schools. To learn how you can help your school measure how well it's achieving its purpose, go to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash thriving. Let's go. Hello, Graham. How are you doing today? Hi, Phil. Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. I think it's kind of nice, actually, the kind of uh, opposite ends of the days. You know, you're at the end, I'm at the beginning, well, full yeah. of possibilities. That's it. That's it. So, listeners, as we were just sound checking before this, which is a really rare thing because, as you all know, I've got absolutely no idea with anything to do with anything to do with anything technical, really. Graham was slurping on his coffee. So, Graham's got a coffee. <laughs> I can, I can do it again a, just for, I, for, for, for demo. That's it. I've got a glass of red. We're going to slurp together. Cheers. Oh, we're going to begin okay. our conversation. Graham, why are we talking today? Well, I mean, you, you hit me up with an email. And I was lonely, um, you know, locked down, <laughs> just all that kind of stuff. I thought, ah, I feel like a nice guy. Why not? There it is. This is sort of like the, the AM radio late night love song requests that's 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 what it must be graham graham can you tell our listeners at game changes just a little bit about yourself and where you've come from and then maybe that'll help us understand why i'm talking to you today yeah i mean it's interesting reflecting on where i've come from because you know i mean i guess a few years ago i had a very good pat story it was quite a long one um and it was all daring do and it was how i would um you know expel from school um, at 15 um, for, I think, um, oh, probably best to call it entrepreneurial activities um, with organic chemistry, just so that I can get my visa when next time I come to visit you, Phil. Um, <laughs> but, but that's a long time ago, really. And, you know, and, and, and it was kind of like, you know, self-taught, you know, spent a lot of time, in a squat, you know, we used to go to the, all the museums to do my learning, didn't really go to schools, I guess they call it now school refuser. Um, went to work for the, uh, for the Open University, uh, which also has a research, you know, so it's a distance learning facility, as you know, the Open University is one of the first. And so um, uh, one of my first jobs I actually got was working there. Um, I don't quite know how I got that one. I, I actually applied for a job as a, a research assistant in a genetics lab. They were doing PhD stuff there. And um, I would not have got the job normally, obviously, because, you know, no GCSEs, no O-levels, no qualifications, did the squat really. Um, but they had read the story um, in the newspaper um, fortunately, there was no YouTube or any internet there, so hence I've been able. Aren't to we lucky? I mean, there are so many times. Moment, aren't we lucky that there was <laughs> there was no recording device around back in the day? 
Uh, well, there's, there's a few actually. So I, 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 was a, I was a presenter for MTV um, for a while, you know, when, when MTV was was the thing. And um, I did some stuff. I, I was doing stuff for MTV Asia. That's it. You, um, you, you and 15 music videos on constant reply. <laughs> so, yeah, there are a few of those things that pop up now and again. And there was a documentary recording um, in the 90s called Rave New World. Because uh, in the 90s, I was running record labels. Generally, you know, generally have quite a good good time. Really. I mean, I, I, how did I get to run a record labels? Uh, we, I had a sort of a, a tech shop, design shop. It, I mean, it was a sort of a crew. I mean, visionary at its time, but we didn't know that it was a, a sort of software engineering team, but also included artists and writers and musicians and filmmakers and things like that. Um, up in Cambridge, England, called called ESP, and we'd figured out how to um, compress audio. This is like pre kind of MP3 type stuff and compress video. So we started messing around with all these technologies originally on CD-ROMs, if you remember those, for those that, that don't remember, they're like, like plastic discs that you put inside a computer and it stores um, what seemed like a lot of information, but now not very much. And we managed, we managed to get audio and video coming off them, which doesn't sound like anything now, but it was important because actually you wouldn't be running things like Spotify and Apple Music had we not done that tech. In fact, that tech became an underlying technology that was acquired by Philips and acquired by Apple, um, turned into QuickTime. So a lot of that stuff is very early. So the, the, the shift into the music industry at that point was because we heard about this thing called the internet. Um, and we thought, oh, you know, if we just carry on with this sort of compression-y type stuff, we could do some very cool things here. And I can have a, you know, a hard disc with my, all my music on, ripped. And I could just share that to a friend anywhere in the world. And in the same way that if you were in this room, I mean, you know, you came around here for a coffee or, or a wine or whatever, and you put some music on, right? And so we thought it was a similar kind of idea. It's like mid nineties. And I remember standing up in 1994 at the Medium, the biggest music conference in the world thinking, here it is, here comes my boat. And so I, you know, I gave this talk to all these like, you know, CEOs of every major record label, their business affairs people and everything else. And, and it was a sort of <laughs> rather the career defining moment. It, it was more like a kind of had to spend the rest of the nineties not getting banged up. Um, you know, cause I, I think they took it the wrong way. I think they just saw it as a theft of copyright. And, and all those things. And um, I didn't. I mean, I, I just thought this is the natural evolution of, of, of everything else. And I would gave that talk because, I, you know, I was trying to be helpful and also trying to make some, 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 some money and, you know, live and, and, you know, be a rock star. But that's how I sort of got into this music industry and record labels and all this kind of stuff. It was that, you know, 1994, we did that stuff. I mean, that was, that was quite a few years before Napster. You know, and 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 uh, LimeWire. So even, cool, even the cool kids wouldn't know what Napster and LimeWire are. I know, right? I mean, I just, I mean, look, I mean, the short summary: Old Fart um, was born neurodiverse, um, ADHD with or, or, and autism, and and some very other various other nice little accoutrements that go go with that, um, and did not know that until about five years ago. Um, left school because it just wasn't designed for me. I realise now. I was bright, I was smart, I was, you know, but I just couldn't, that idea of being able to, you know, to work in a, you know, to, 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 to survive in a system that was designed for people who could sit down for eight hours and repeat repetitive tasks day in, day out without asking too many questions was something I couldn't do, um, neither in a work or, or you know, in a school or university environment, nor in, a, nor in a work environment. And so that colored my my career. I mean, I was super interested in everything, really. I mean, I, I, I you know, was very interested in biology and genetics, because of a special interest. I realise now that 
you know, I was driven by these special interests, you know, so the, you know, when I was doing my entrepreneurial experiments, it came because I was going to, as a kid, going to, to Foyle's bookstore in Charing Cross, the biggest bookstore we had, and stealing um, shoplifting books. Um, I know it's terrible, I'm sorry, but these weren't like, you know, Mills and Boone. I mean, these were kind of heavyweight academic volumes. And so I was teaching myself and then surviving that way. And so now when I look at that career path in the rear view, you know, like, like now through the lens of, oh, yeah, okay, I got diagnosed with this, sort of makes a lot of sense how my CV could, could, could be, okay, you disrupt the music industry, you worked with Seymour Packer in education, you um, did this stuff with Chomsky, you did this book, you did this thing around... Um, the future of learning, then you jump back into Hollywood and, and it doesn't make any sense until you view that through the lens of neurodiversity. So that's how I'm here, Phil. It's, it's a, I mean, sometimes I feel like a big charlatan, an imposter, um, but what I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about and learning and the future of work and the future of society has been something that's been a, a sort of a constant in my life. And, and I do all the sort of, you know, other bits and pieces as well at the same time. Okay, so... I want to pick up on that note about being an imposter, if I can, as Graham slurps his coffee without trying to slurp <laughs> I want to pick up on this note of being an imposter, if I can. Sure. Um, and I want to reframe it to the notion of being a prophet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so you won't know this, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Greek ancient history man. And, and you know, from, from, from a very, very early age, the stories and the myths and the legends of ancient Greece captured my imagination. Nice, yeah. I don't know why. They just did. They just did. Cool. And there's a very powerful story about my parents somewhere in there and, and books as well too. Although I largely live in a world without books now. I, I use a Kindle. I read off my phone and, and do that sort of thing, which horrifies a whole lot of people because I was a books man and I was a handwriting man and and, uh, and now so much of my life is spent on the screen. I continue to be taunted or haunted. I can't decide which of the haunteds it is by the story of Cassandra. Ah, uh, okay. Roy, standing on the beach, and she's got a story to tell, and no one's listening. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it doesn't end well for her, does it? And then... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I never, I've never really drawn that one, actually. That quite, that's quite... That's made my hair stand out of that. All right. So, yeah. That's kind of what it feels like, actually. That's what it's been feeling like. Since well, let's 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 run with that feeling then. Let's run with that feeling because because this is this is in in this in this first episode, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about being an outsider. I want to talk about being an imposter. I want to talk about being a prophet. You might actually allow me to explore that as a notion with you because you know you've you've yeah, got not? what you've got what my grandmother would have called Nachas. I can tell you that my staffy doesn't have them anymore. So to be a prophet, you must be an outsider. You must be a person who stands on the outside looking in. I don't know if you know the Australian band Cold Chisel and their lead singer Jimmy Barnes, but for those of us who grew up in the 80s in, in, in Sydney, oh, we knew sorry. all the words, all the words. <laughs> Come on, give us a rendition then, Phil. <laughs> um, standing on the outside looking in, I'm standing on the outside looking in. Whoa-oh, whoa-oh. Well, uh -oh, uh -oh. that sounds like a great chorus. It's, 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 very, it's very 1980s. But it's that notion of being able to observe and because you are able to observe, because you are, and I'll get biblical for a moment, I'm going to get more biblical shortly, because you are in the world but not of it, you have the capacity to describe to people 
what the future might be. Mm. I'm not going to call you a futurist because I don't think much. No, God, no. It's that's that's in Italian fascism, but I mean, um, I call it it anticipation of foresight. You know, well, it's it's, well, 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 it's it's a hunch. It's it's a hunch, and the the capacity to follow a hunch, and and the reality that most of your hunches will go wrong, but every now and then some of them will go right. So there you are. And you're looking at a world in an industry which is entirely based on a few people unethically or illegally capturing intellectual property and selling it by volume at a huge profit. That's mm-hmm. the record industry, wasn't it? Really? Yeah. Well, and- it's 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 you know. 20th century capitalism. That's that's Absol- it's the well, same for everything. Well, no- see, I, I'd argue yeah. it, I'd argue it's it's I'd argue it's not capitalism because it's certainly not building. I don't think, I'm not saying that pejoratively. I'm, no, no, no. You know. I don't I don't I actually don't see it as capitalism. I see it as something earlier than that. I see I see this as you know, this is a cartel. This is before we learned around this, that, and the other. So we've got. I mean, it's a cool point. It's a structural cartel. I mean, that's Absolutely. what we're going to at the moment. It's a structural right. cartel, and it has right. been since the Europeans invaded every okay. other country. You know. So you turn around and you talk to them about something which requires a radical rethink of everything to do with the way in which that industry works, which is about sharing, which is about sampling, which is about downloading, which is about this, that, and the other. And if you're a good capitalist, at the end of the day, all you're caring about is like, you know, in terms of a financial return, the bottom line. So you're probably sitting there and going, well, who cares about what all this sort of stuff is happening? It's the bottom line. But what you've actually got, you've got people caught in the past and they're caring about what's occurring above the line because they have their model and suddenly their model no longer exists. The second you have LimeWire, the second you have Napster, the second you have the internet, the second you have Spotify, the whole model for music and the way we disseminate it in the world changes. I had thousands of CDs. I now spend $11 a month on Spotify and I have everything that I want except the satisfying feeling of pushing it's not as good, is it? It's not as good. It's not as good, but you know what? But it's when convenient. You, when, you, when you know the value of the real estate that I no longer have to spend on to store all the CDs and to store all the books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's it like standing in front of the big dogs of the time and telling them, hey, this is where, it's not even the future, this is where we are now. What, what's that feeling? Like? It, it, it's really, I mean, actually the first person that I've ever met that framed it like that. And now you set my brain off, you know, just, Good. just thinking, Excellent. which is very cool, actually. Um, you know, it's, what I mean, the thing is, I'm, I'm sort of reviewing a lot of this now over the last few years, sort of doing the inner work, as they say, you know, because it's, 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 I didn't think like diagnoses and stuff um, would actually make a difference, same person, right? But what you do is you sort of go back and kind of, you know, you put everything into that context and you go, oh, oh. And then start thinking about how you were feeling at those times. So what it feels like, it still feels like it actually is that it's almost like a form of ignorance or a stupidity um, that you think, well, there must be something more to this because look at all these people in the room. You know, I mean, take the music industry, but it's the same with education. In fact, actually I would compare both industries that are almost identical. You know, I say in front of the record industry, you know, eventually getting the courage to say, well, look, you know, I've done it. Why haven't you done this? I've done this. And this is how the, your industry works and this is how it can change. And, and, I, and I tend to find myself in that situation all the time. I mean, it's always in the front of what you call the sort of big dogs or, or whatever, 
that's never never bothered me it's not you know i know a lot of people try and you know they, they spend a lot of time trying to work up to try and get to meet the ceo of, of polygram or or this company or to meet this academic or whatever but it's never been i've never had obstacles in doing that i i you know i'm a good ligger i suppose i've heard that term in australia um but no sure we don't you've we got don't. the face of a ligger actually you know well you know you start when you go up to a nightclub got a medium you haven't got tickets you're not on the door you know, and you just style it out and go straight through. <laughs> ah, ah. That's what I've done. Okay, okay. I'd, I'd, never t- I'd never tell war stories about this sort of stuff ever. I, I, so but when I was 16, 17, 18 and going to nightclubs and doing that sort of thing, I, I refused to queue because in my mind, queuing is the mark of a socialist country and I didn't subscribe to that sort of thing. So I just refused so to Why didn't you say, Phil, queuing is a socialist It's the mark of a socialist country. <laughs> Look... You'll you'll just ex- you'll 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 excuse my sixteen-year-old self. I'm sure. Oh, man, I, no, I love I, it. Bring I'm, it. I'm Bring your sixteen-year-old self. It's, I'm it's, still it's, coming it's, to terms with it. I love it. But but, but no, I I never queued. I just go straight to yeah. front of the queue and say, "Let me in." And you know, nine times out of ten, they would. And if they didn't, I I'd mean, stand there. I mean, yeah, I mean as an adjunct, as an adjunct, I mean, Josh, I hope you can edit this. Um, it was like one of the, one of the, you know the, one, the, the the driver of my interest in organic chemistry. Um, was because I it, it, the two things two things were inspirational to me and I'll come back to the the, the standing in front of big dogs in a second. The, the, the two things that, that were inspirational to me was you know my life was the Apollo landings, Ooh. right? That all happens yeah. you know um, in the end of the sixties, early seventies, all that stuff, and that had me absolutely glued uh, to this black and white TV. Um, and I, my late mother kept a whole bunch of drawings that I used to draw as a kid, and they were like obsessive. You know the 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 Saturn rocket and and all this kind of stuff. So that was a, a big thing that that you know. And I remember writing to you know people like Buzz Aldrin and, and Neil Armstrong and getting letters three months three months through six months later. And like I said, so it's a big thing, right? Very you know. Had have, you, have you have you seen the Apollo Eleven documentary, the one where there's no oh, commentary? So oh yeah. Like- it's just beautiful. Recently, I watched, just, I watched just beautiful. that at IMAX. It's the best movie I've ever seen at IMAX. It, it, it's great. I mean, it's just, it's just, it, it still has that effect on me, Phil. Exactly. So that happened. And of course, that, that triggered the sort of what I was called like the first golden age of science fiction. Mm. Um, and I just like just devoured all that, like books and, you know, Doctor Who, Star Trek, Thunderbirds, Joe 90. Joe 90, I felt was me. I don't know if anyone knows Joe 90. It was his kid. No, no, mm. no. But, but we all. But it's interesting. Do, we but, all but, used to but, do the Thunderbird impersonation. Yeah, yeah. The well, the same, the, the, the same Super Mario Nation people, yeah, yeah. Like Jerry Anderson, Sylvia Anderson. But yeah, yeah. Joe 90 was his boy, blonde boy, looked like the Milky Bar kid. But I also had blondes, you know, freckles, all that kind of, you know, obviously kind of cute as I am now, but younger. And um, <laughs> so he looked like, and, and his father was like, I don't know, some sort of secret, secret agent scientist. And he put his kid in this machine that looked like a big onion, but it spun around this kid. And then he would come out of it. And then all of a sudden he'd be a fighter pilot. Or a, a a ninja spy, or you know, it was like it was a matrix, in a way, that kind of insertion of stuff. The reason why I, I, the reason why I bring that one up and it, why it's linked is because I felt like that kid. I felt that that was what's happened to me when I was sleeping, because there was stuff in my head that I didn't I did not know how it got there. I didn't get it from school because I didn't go. I was reading books all over the place. There was no internet. You know, I was watching things, but somehow, like I, so people say, watch your learning style. I say osmosis. Because I don't know how it got there. Now, so the other thing, so, so there was the Apollo landings, science fiction. The thing that really kind of brought that all together was was the was punk. Um, that sort of burst out in 1977, 
through to sort of 1979, you know, like Malcolm McLaren, who became a very close friend of mine for the last 20, maybe 25 years of his life, uh, which I think is, 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 is kind of interesting because of where said punk it was a big big grin coming <laughs> up. Actually, now we're gonna now we're gonna talk punk to each other because well, you know. it was it was it was great because the whole point that was diy culture you know um you know, here's a chord here's a chord now form a band yeah kind of thing and that was like wow inspirational the energy that was coming out of that and i was just a couple of you know just a bit too young you know, to go to gigs at the Ellsbury Friars, which is down the road from where I lived and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But but I, I knew a lot of the boys that were going there, and I like the styles and the hair and all that kind of stuff. And I realised that they were, you know, one of the things that helped them have a good time was this organic, organic compound that I knew how to make. Um, and, and that just there got me like, in, like 15 into all of the gigs. So I was like rubbing shoulders with people, you know, like literally Susie the Banshees, the Pistols, um sham 69 uk subs i mean it was like oh i was like 15 and i didn't even shave till i was 35 so i looked like a baby god knows how i managed to get in and out but it's surprising when you've got that little oh we know how you managed to get in that you're supplying everybody on the door man (laughs) i know i mean i don't know this is probably gonna come back and bite me isn't it it's like this interview but i mean it's just true i mean and 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 it's and it comes from that those things are linked because it's like because you, know, you asked me what is it like standing in front of the big dog and all that kind of stuff and it's like i did that all my life i mean i did that then doing some stuff it's like kind of rocket science um and then making those connections and then going to those i mean what was i doing um i didn't i was fearless like that but back to the the the, the origin of this thing was like i would look at things it's like ever since i was a child i mean it's like the stuff i talk about now which you know the thing around about um, re-engineering, redesign, reimagining society, not because it's a nice idea, but because we have to. And we're going to... I was talking to... about as a child. Yeah, so we're going to come to that idea in the third <laughs> episode that we're going to record. So I want to hold that if Let I me... can, because what, what we're actually exploring in this conversation is all about the development of your voice. And what I'm positing to you is the notion of the voice crying in the wilderness and who listens um... and how you listen and so on. And you might disagree with that. No, 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 no. I mean, it, it, it's right. I mean, it's been hugely frustrating, um, upsetting, uh, damaging to me and, and, and to relationships and, and, and all that kind of stuff. It's the kind of, am I stupid? I can see this. It's clear as day. And, and it's like, people can't. I mean, I suppose that maybe it was just naive in, in some ways of, of how systems started. Music industry is a good example. I mean, when I started playing around that, it was basically full of the same people. They all came from a very, you know, very good background. Um, I mean, it was this cartel. I mean, you know, when people say about, well, you know, Graham, you know, you, you started this whole um, file sharing, peer-to-peer file sharing. You're the one that's that's responsible for this. And the only people that complained about that, complained about that, that disruption in the music industry, which was going to happen. That's all I was saying. I just thought it was mm. useful. Was that, you know, the people that complained were the people that missed the limousines um, missed the, you know, the sort of the enormous expense budget, which the artist was actually paying for, missed the, you know, the, um, by the hour, um, a, you know, company that they might have. And, and, and although, I mean, it was like, I mean, I know it sounds a horrible kind of indictment of what the music industry was like, but a lot of it was like that um, in, in, in the nineties. And I, I mean, I am not a saint, absolutely no way. But my point was, was that I realized now only, you know, in reverse, was that the, the, the res- resistance to that disruption that I was talking about 
And I only just set fire to the cornfield. I didn't, didn't burn the whole lot. I mean, there were other people, other, but we definitely set fire to it because we proved it, we showed it, we demoed it. Was this kind of disconnect, this dissonance that this, this, can't, be, this can't be true. So it was, it was like a different kind of world for, for them. And, and the reaction was to then either try and seduce me or punish me. And so that was a kind of, that was a cycle that I was in. And I think that, what I, I think what I lacked was a, was a, was a, was a, was a confidence in my own ideas um, in that, how can these be right? These are really clever people around me and, and they've got yeah. all this. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's that yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. as you say, literally crying into the kind of, yeah, and, and then just, it's a kind of a, st- I guess, a, st- a state of anxiety really about, you know, do I go yeah, look, it, it, it is, but I actually think that, uh, I think that voice develops before agency. And that I think agency develops before advocacy. Those are the three things that we're going to talk about in these three yeah, conversations yeah. that we're going to have. And and to a certain extent, I think that the, the role of the prophet is to appear strange and alien and to appear like an outsider because otherwise, why would you listen? Why would you take note? Why would you be disrupted? And that's why I'm interested in that's why that's why I'm yeah. interested in you talking about how it feels. You well, know, I felt like an alien. I mean, alien is a good one. I mean, I, I used to have all kinds of um, fantasies, I suppose, as a child. I can remember a lot of them. I mean, genuinely believing, I mean, like genuinely believing, not just kind of pretending, genuinely believing that that, that I had been dropped off here um, by some alien species. And at mm-hmm. night, I'd be transmitting everything back to the mothership kind of thing, the whole kind of, you know, consciousness type stuff. It was quite mapped out. And I'm, those, sort of, those sort of fantasies happened around about, I guess, memory, five, six years old. And, and all those kinds of things. And it actually hasn't left me. I mean, it, you know, it also happens, you know, at school, you're the kid that gets left out from, you know, certain parties or things. I mean, I was popular. I mean, I had kind of some friends, but it was, I know I look back and think, okay, it was a bit, I was a bit, 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 bit of the outsider kid. And it's only sort of reflecting on that now that I'm beginning to see that. And, and it's still like that. There's also, I think, you know, it, sometimes I put it under social anxiety. It's, it's people assume that I'm super confident because I stand on stage and talk to 10,000 people or in the music industry when I was doing the Nine Inch Nails stuff, massive stadiums. Um, but that's very different from being in a room full of people that want to talk to you. And oh, I was completely different. Be, I feel oh, people completely are going to be disappointed. I feel they're going to be yeah. disappointed. I mean, they read oh, the no, books, it's, it's, they, it's, they hear the it's, talks and it's yeah, like... Yeah. No, it's, compl- it's completely different because of course what you learn to do is to adapt and to perform. And... The greatest performers in the world are the ones who usually suffer from the, from the most social anxiety because they've, they've turned their weakness into their strength, but that residual is still sitting there. I want to pause us there. Can I do that? Yeah, yeah. Can we pick this conversation up next time? Because I think that's a really, really nice way to look at it. Thank you so much, Graham. This has been a really interesting introduction to the development of your voice. I want to come back next time and talk about how you found your agency and maybe we'll get into the world of education at that point. Thank you very much. Super cool. Thank you, Phil. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.